Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Before we start, I wanted to introduce you to a new sponsor, Credible.com, which is an online marketplace for student loan refinancing. Back when I had student loans, I, I definitely could have used this. Using their simple platform, it takes less than two minutes to find out if you're overpaying on your student loans. You can think of it as an aggregator for student lenders to see if you can find a better rate. And the average user who refinances through Credible.com saves almost $19,000 over the life of their loan. All you have to do is visit Credible.com slash cap space answer a few questions and right away you'll get real rates not ranges of rates for multiple render lenders checking your rates will not affect your credit score so you really have nothing to lose for a limited time my listeners get a 200 welcome bonus when refinancing through credible.com slash cap space that's credible.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us so why don't we start with a game that i thought lived up to its billing the houston rockets the best record in the nba the portland trailblazers had not lost in 37 days having gone for 13 straight wins dating back to before the all-star break and it was a 115 111 rockets win a game which was characterized again by just incredible off the dribble three-point shooting from chris paul and james harden pushing the the rockets to victory yeah i mean harden ended the game 42 points five of seven from three also important 11 to 15 from the line and my biggest takeaway from from this game was that overall this was not a hundred percent proposition i thought the blazers did a good job defending the th- defending the rockets for, you know in the game there were certainly some weak points and it was a reminder that great offense can beat good defense a lot of the time but i was impressed overall with the way that portland handled this their support players did well and they were able to keep this competitive despite not having games to the usual standard for damian lillard and cj mccollum yeah, mccollum and lillard a combined nine Nine out of 32, including 0 of 12 combined from downtown Lillard, did get to the foul line for 10 out of 10. And you mentioned how well they defended the Rockets. I thought they took the Rockets out of what they normally like to do from two-point range. Clint Capella, 24 minutes, only two out of three from the field. Uh, the Rockets shot fewer than half their shots from downtown. 36 three-point attempts is actually below their, their average. And, and despite just putting up still a ridiculous offensive rating, uh, well over one. 20 they went 19 out of 43 from two-point range and of those 36 three-pointers that they gave up and houston was 19 out of 36 53 percent from downtown 17 of those were off the dribble shots by paul and harden and 10 out of those 19 makes were by paul and harden again those off the dribble shots uh so those two combined for 10 out of 17 from three but it's not like these were wide open shots that they're taking off the dribble these are well defended 
limited shots and those guys just uh, james harden i mean i said it during our twitter nba show broadcast in particular is having the type of off the dribble three-point shooting season that we've really only ever seen from some of these peak steph curry years and it's indefensible they tried a series of different approaches early in the game there were times when they let the big men stay out there on switches harden cooked nurkic once i think he got a good good one on ed davis as well later on they did some portland did some trapping which was intriguing but by and large in the late part of the game when the rockets took over and and settled this i thought they did i thought portland did a pretty good job defending it they were making shots hard sometimes they were sending late help there was the i think it was the second to last big shot harden hit aminu came over a little bit late but it was certainly affected the shot and harden just made it anyway. well and the level of demoralization too for some of these shots down the stretch i mean they're running the time down to like two seconds and now we got asked during the show which i think it bears repeating like well how do you defend this houston team right i mean and what houston was doing much more so than just going after yusuf nurkic in and having the blazers play conventional pick and roll defense it was dame lillard the guy that they went after especially after lillard got into foul trouble with three bad reach fouls in the first half they felt like they could have some success against him uh at first portland was switching lillard onto harden harden was cooking lillard then at the start of the third quarter they tried the conventional pick and roll defense with lillard just hedging out uh that allowed harden to get downhill every time and the blazers were very very fastidious about not leaving three-point shooters and they managed to defend the rim relatively well i thought yusuf nurkic although he was late on some rotations did have some pretty nice help plays he blocked two hardened floaters in this one which you don't see happen very often uh he's been an underrated defensive player this season um but that ultimately didn't work again when it was late they went back to the switching with lord sometimes you don't want to switch and you just get caught that way anyway and i still am of the thinking that the best approach is you know you're gonna put whoever it is that they're using in the screening action on one of three guys and bob mute tucker ariza and say all right james harden we're gonna get the ball out of your hands trevor ariza you want to beat us pj tucker you want to beat us luke and bob mute you want to beat us make a play for others get to the rim and finish in a four-on-three situation over help our big man at the rim you do that that's what we want to do and maybe we the reason we haven't seen as much of that this season is just teams don't play that way anymore and they're saving it for the playoffs whatever it is but i i think that to me is the best approach and uh, what are your thoughts on that i mean is there a good approach you just switch up all the time i mean it's really it's tough when you have the talent especially of harden and, and and chris paul as well and another reason it's so hard is because the rockets can use basically the entire shot clock as they did in certain possessions here though not as aggressively as in certain possessions against the warriors to get what they want and then just use the last five seconds so if they can basically see everything else as as a prologue then it affects the defense because you have to be on it a little bit more i agree with you in terms of the general concept one difference for the regular season in the playoffs is that those sorts of trapping strategies aren't as commonplace and so teams generally don't put in opponent specific plans unless it's a special circumstance and so i think that's the biggest reason we haven't seen it i expect to see it a lot more in the playoffs because the difference between trapping you know getting the ball out of harden's hands and getting the ball out of curry's hands is that yes chris paul is on the floor but the other guys to me 
are less capable in terms of creation than a lot of the other guys for the Warriors. And you you brought up the 2015 NBA Finals when we were talking in the show, and Draymond Green had that responsibility a lot. I trust Draymond Green a whole heck of a lot more in that spot than P.J. Tucker or Mbob Mute. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, they did leave Tucker one time. He hit a, a corner three towards the end of the game, but I think that's one that you have to kind of live with a little bit. And then, you know, there's also the idea of, hey, maybe James Harden is going to miss every once in a while. You know, we haven't seen him do this in the playoffs. He's obviously having one of the incredible seasons that we've seen. But Portland did defend them well down the end with 155 left. Harden hit the second of two consecutive stepbacks, the one you referred to where they sent the double late. The other one, he went to his left. I mean, for a left-handed shooter going to his left, hitting a stepback three is just an impossible shot for most guys. But he's got that great footwork where utilizing the gather, he's able to take two steps after gathering, get himself squared up. Uh, something that he practices it is not a travel under the current rules by the way Steve Kerr so they led by nine after he had made just two consecutive uh, ridiculous step backs uh and Trevor Ariza also made it three it had been 104-102 Blazers hit three threes in a row in the space of about a minute and a half and then Dame Lillard gets fouled shooting a three hits all three Nurkic had a great block on Harden's floater Lillard scored again on a drive and then CJ McCollum brought them within two with 28.5 remaining after a wild possession and the Blazers elected at that point down to 4.5 differential to not foul they had two timeouts remaining so that they had the opp- opportunity to do that but the the Rockets played it perfectly Chris Paul got the ISO the last couple of times and he drove had to take an impossible shot I thought the Blazers did a great job pressuring wouldn't got it out of the hands of Harden and Paul Paul could barely get it back he had to take a difficult floater but he did take it with 0.3 seconds remaining on the on the shot clock and then when the ball bounced over the head of Alfaru Camino and some claim that Chris Paul pushed him in the back but probably not enough to draw a foul call uh Paul got the rebound and, and that was it and that is a heartbreaking way to lose and when I I sympathize for the Blazers for a, another big reason with the fouling because Harden and Chris Paul are both fantastic free throw shooters and the idea of extending the number of possessions in the game makes complete sense and a four second differential when you if you assume that the other team is going to run it all the way down and then the shot is going to be in the air a little bit and then you're hoping for a miss and if you get it it's getting pretty dicey there but I think the difference between it being a two-point game and a three-point game is a little bit for me because you might even have a chance to win it so I think I would have fouled but I'm not a hundred I it's weird to me that I'm not rock solid on it I don't think I would have I, I think that but Houston is is probably the best team in the league at making sure they run the time down I, I thought they did a decent job of trapping while they tried to waste time you know they threw it to a reason in the corner but there was still six on the shot clock at that point he didn't want to take the shot and then he tried to get it back to Paul uh you know I mean you have to imagine generally that you're going to get it with three seconds left at a minimum getting the rebound and, and that you're able to call time out there so I mean I think that's enough a, a shot with three seconds I mean this is an unlucky result for them to give up an offensive rebound that bounced all the way out to the free throw line and the shooter who took a floater from the free throw line actually got it about but I think it bounced first um I think they made the correct decision not to foul it's on the borderline but I mean I'm just I think once you get into the foul game you're such an underdog just giving yourself the chance at getting one clean look to tie or win it especially with the three-point shooters they have even though they're off today um is worth it uh some more observations from the meat of the game uh you mentioned the Blazers good defense and I agree with you and I know you'll agree with me on this too in one respect because you were more vehement on the broadcast about this than I was the fouling by the Blazers they committed some absolutely 
asinine falls in this one. You have to defend the Rockets differently, especially James Harden, because he's so good at making contact in the strike zone. And the and the you have to remember also that you're not going to get the ball from him. So the value proposition of reaching against James Harden is worse than it is for any player in the league, arguably for any player in the history of the league, because you're not going to get the ball and he's going to draw a foul. You're, you're going to get fouled. And so Willard was in foul trouble, largely for that reason. Nurkic got in foul trouble for that reason. And they the Blazers had a lot of fouls that weren't aimed at anything. Like Willard had one where he reached over Harden's arms, fouled him, but didn't prevent the shot. So you gain nothing from it in that circumstance. Nurkic had one where he just kind of flailed with a reach. Didn't affect anything, really. I don't remember whether that one was an and one or whether the shot went out. And ideally, yeah, a team's not going to foul very much against the Rockets or they're going to, what the Spurs did, you know, keeping your hands out of the strikes and everything like that. But the next step behind that is to just make sure that your fouls count. And the Blazers did a truly awful job of that part of it. Yeah, and I mean, Dame's three fouls in the first half, all of them were just bad reach fouls. And, and I mean, I think, you, the, and the Spurs did this, basically if you're guarding James Harden, you just, your arms never go further forward than the plane of your torso. <laughs> and it's that, that's the only way to do it. And if you're a help defender, you don't reach in. You either get in front of him or you don't. You know, you fake towards him and you go back to your man because if you reach in, he's just going to go right through your arms. And I thought it was so funny, right? We were, when we were talking on the broadcast, we were chastising Nurkic, saying, hey, you know what? You're only going to strip him clean one out of a hundred times, basically. And then he actually did strip him clean on one of those fouls and they still called a foul on him because James Harden gets so much of the benefit of the doubt on those plays. And rightfully so, because I think referees know that most of the times it is going to, in fact, be a foul. So they gave up some three-point plays that were weak. They gave up some fouls and jumpers. And, and you know, I mean, of Harden's 15 free throw attempts, probably 10 of them were the results of just mental errors by the Blazers. That was one of the few mistakes that they made defensively. I thought they did a good job keeping Houston out of the shots they wanted. And they contested well at the rim. We talked about that. Nurkic, I liked on one play. My theory is because he was too far kind of behind the play to commit a foul. He got in and blocked Harden's floater, getting there late with his long wingspan. But I think the biggest tactical element of this game that I enjoyed was the counter, which we actually saw more prevalently with Yusuf Nurkic than we did with Anthony Davis or Carl Anthony Towns in, the, in two recent Houston games, was just going after particularly James Harden, but really whatever small got on Nurkic on a switch. And if Houston's going to go to a switch everything system, the place for those seven footers, especially the ones as strong as Nurkic, is not on Capella or Nene, who didn't play in this game. It's going after anybody else that's on him. Yeah, and I thought Houston, some of their guys, Harden and Paul, when they got switched on it, Harkless also had some success posting up in this one. They were not at their typical intensity level. Uh, you know, there were some real give ups on those plays, but Yusuf Nurkic weighs 280. And when he really wants to post up and get deep position and go through guys, he's capable of doing that. And I think the other big component of it, though, number one, there weren't really double teams. I mean, they, they came over with some late help a couple of times once he had spun baseline, but, it, you know, it didn't get there and he was able to score. Nurkic finished nine out of 10 from the field and had 21 points in this one. I've criticized his shot selection uh, as recently as the 15 and 60 a couple of days ago. And I thought that he, other than a couple, which he ended up making anyway, he did not settle at all. Uh, I don't think he took a conventional jump shot all game. And then when he got the ball on the pick and roll, he really was carving them up with great passes to the corner uh, to shooters like Harkless and Aminu, who were both on, on fire in this game. So, and I thought both those guys shooting it better and then the Houston's decision, like there was, it's not Anthony Davis, it's 
to not Carl Anthony Towns. You know, we don't because those guys they just doubled them, right? And so they didn't decide they're going to do that with Nurkic. And, and Nurkic, when he did get doubled or when he had an advantage situation in the pick and roll, he did a great job. I, I, I it wouldn't surprise me if after that Clippers game, the coaches actually looked at some film with him and said, "Hey, here's where you're missing these guys on the short rolls because he was outstanding when they did double him. He threw some great passes to the weak side. He was really maybe the best offensive game I've ever seen Yusuf Nurkic play just uh, from how complete it was and they weren't really going after him pick and roll either I thought that generally although he was late on some help he, he was pretty good at protecting the rim so a great game from him the type of game that might make them say hey you know what maybe we should uh pay this guy a lot of money in the offseason Zach Collins was another reason why I think you get that reminder because while he is intriguing and has a different set of skills he was not able to attack even you know basically whoever got it got on him on a switch I he wasn't great in those circumstances offensively defensively he didn't make much of an impact and so yeah Nurkic isn't going to play like this every game you know maybe this is a top five percent regular season outcome for him but that top five percent really helped keep them in this game as well as the shooting by Aminu and Harkless and it's going to be hard to let that go especially if what the Blazers are getting out of it depending on what kind of contract he gets offered would basically just be more money for Paul Allen this is not a circumstance where they can pivot from him to another 10 million dollar center or something like that it would be letting him go for no compensation in all likelihood unless they somehow finagle the signing trade which i would doubt and you know i i I would understand if the price ends up being reasonable that you sit there and go well if we can get him at something that we're happy with maybe it's even something where another team might be willing to trade for him in a year or two that you bite that bullet if you have to last thing i want to talk about uh, that was interesting to me in this one end of the first quarter beginning of the second rockets went with ryan anderson they still were in switch everything mode but yet they had joe johnson who was 0 for 1 in this game really did nothing offensively uh and ryan anderson who surprisingly enough actually was was plus one uh in nine minutes i'm not sure whether he only played those nine minutes because he's still coming off of that hip injury or they wanted Gerald Green actually played 11 minutes in the second half hit one three-pointer and actually had a couple of nice plays defending the rim he was plus eight had a couple of you know fall asleep plays defensively where he missed switches or whatever uh but I thought that Anderson you know who has been better as a switch guy really got attacked you know and, and he wasn't giving up just like really easy plays but Dame Lillard was able to drive by him I thought that Lillard despite his poor shooting his approach against when faced with with some of the bad defenders uh, on Houston uh, of really attacking. He missed one step back three, and then he decided, I'm just going to attack, get in the lane. And with everybody else on the team so hot from three, he was able to set up a lot of plays there or even, you know, get the, the train running and, and get a secondary assist. So I, I thought they did a good job of attacking that switching. I think that a lot of teams, you know, they, they want to ISO for a jumper once they get the switch. And you're much better off at that point because you know the team's going to be loaded on help defense to drive it in the lane and try and set up someone else i thought dame did a good job with that but certainly the lineup uh, i called it a regular season lineup during the broadcast of johnson and anderson and harden all playing together defensively and you're still switching everything i think that was kind of a recipe for disaster and they did get beat up during that time period i i thought uh overall defensively despite that i thought that houston's the other bench players which of course that's way better personnel eric gordon and lucas and bob mute they're 
seamlessness in the rotation was better than Evan Turner, I think, had a not a terrible night, but a rough night. I mean, just didn't bring a ton of value for the most part, other than he had he had one or two drives that I that I liked. Connaughton didn't have a great game. Shabazz Napier had one had one nice three, which was pretty impressive. He took it from a, a ways away. But Portland got good nights from kind of their three quote unquote other starters. But then other than Ed Davis's offensive rebounding, I thought they got below average nights from the other guys. And that combined with Lillard and CJ made it a lot harder to win. Which you see bad for Turner? I thought he was actually okay. I mean, it, part of it, he was five out of 10 for 10 points. Which you're like, oh man, he shot 50%. But you realize true shooting, that's 50%. And it's actually like, that's below average. Uh, for him, he did miss one three. And I also, I, I will say this. I mean, it wasn't Turner having a bad night within his capabilities, but the Rockets do such a good job of just not guarding opposing team shooters. And that really helps in their switching scheme. And so when Turner was on the floor, the floor really got shrunk a, a lot. PJ Tucker was doing a great job of basically. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, what I was He was just staying at the free throw line. Yeah, and, and I didn't, yeah. Turner's defense has always been perplexing to me because there have been moments in his career, particularly when he was on the Celtics, where I thought he looked more engaged and he wasn't bad in this game but he didn't really make any plays that impressed me and Portland is going to need everybody to step up and that doesn't necessarily mean steals and blocks or anything like that but I didn't see I didn't see that and then he his ability to settle for bad shots it derailed their offense a couple different times and I fully admit that with him I have a weakness that his his negatives bother me more than his positives make me feel good and so I I end up focusing on those with him it's actually very similar to DeRozan who many would argue i'm unfairly critical of yeah i mean i i think for turner you know i'm not saying he's like some good player you accept what his limitations are but i mean you know when you're saying is he playing well you accept that he's just not going to get guarded every night you know uh, uh when he doesn't have the ball and and he took some horrible uh in the first half he took a couple of just really bad transition long twos uh when they really kind of had it rolling too, going against the bad defenders in the switches um anything else you want to say about this one or shall we uh move on to the next segment here no I think that's about it. I mean, I heartily enjoyed this game. And great. as as much as it was intriguing from a lot of perspectives, it was surreal. Mostly, this is just testament to how well the Blazers have been playing that I don't think the stakes of this game were particularly high because the Blazers still have a margin of at least three games in the loss column on every other team, four and below. And the Rockets are going to be the number one seed in the West and the number one seed in the overall playoff picture. So I enjoyed it without that, but sure, that would have made it more fun. So if you're listening to this you probably really enjoy learning on the go that's what we try to do with this podcast is, is to give you as much information as we can in as short an amount of time as we can although uh sometimes that'll be a, last a little bit longer than others fortunately the folks at blinkist are a little bit more concise than danny and i are what they do is they have o- over 2,000 of the best-selling non-fiction books that they've turned into powerful packs you can read or listen to in, in just 15 minutes and, and if you think about it think of the last non fiction book that you read and just think about all right what is everything that i actually remember from this book and i think you'll find you probably couldn't talk about it for more than 15 minutes right i mean are you really getting that much more out of these books when you're reading for information for things that you can use in your life to me at least these 15 minute packs are just as good as reading the whole book but it only takes you 15 minutes and you get all of the same key insights that you would get from spending hours reading this whole book so if you have a 45 minute commute now you're getting the key insights from two to three books all at once topics like productivity business self-improvement and they're always adding new titles as well right now blinkist has a special offer just for our audience go to blinkist.com 
slash cap space easy to remember that slash cap space url the blazers don't have it but because they have bird rights they will be able to re-sign yusuf nurkic should they so choose anyway blinkist.com slash cap space right now you can start your free trial or get three months off of your yearly plan when you join today that's blinkist spelled b-l-i-n-k-i-s-t blinkist.com slash cap space start your free trial or get three months off your yearly plan once again blinkist.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us all right why don't we do a little news here some has piled up we did some of it during the 15 and 60 but let's just go through starting with i think the most interesting thing something that has been one of the more interesting stories just for us kind of nba business nerds and that is what's going on in memphis where it has now been reported by memphis business journal what the valuation of the club is that minority owners steve kaplan and daniel strauss have put that they are now with that buy sell clause either required to buy out majority owner robert para at that price or have para buy them out at, at that valuation yeah it i mean for people i i don't i don't know if you did studied it but i took negotiation classes in law school this is basically like the dream baseball arbitration is another one of these of just getting the opportunity to to value and and assess things and it, it, it's so fascinating and i understand why the grizzlies are on the lower end of valuation there's been some interpretations that valuing them a little bit over a billion basically means every team is over a billion but one of the big question marks and i would just have to get a better sense of this is the capacity to move the team or or anything else because that is involved in the valuation as well and when you think about the theoretical idea and the nba has not that said they're going to do the same point of getting an expansion franchise i mean just getting into the ball game is going to be very expensive now so the reported valuation now valuation is the important part here is one billion dollars a little bit over a billion dollars is reported and the way that i put it is at the time when we first heard about this back in the fall that this had actually been triggered i said if i were kaplan and strauss my strategy would be i would bid the absolute maximum amount that i would be willing to pay for the team now worth noting they don't have to come up with a billion dollars in cash here all they have to do is buy out para and it's unclear exactly what percentage uh, of the team para owns at this point but based on what the reporting was that uh, of the percentages that were put in between para kaplan strauss and the, the limited partner local owners it looks like the amount that kaplan and strauss would be required to put up to buy out para would be about 229 million dollars assuming the one billion dollar valuation that's a i'm not sure about that but based on what's publicly been made available that's what they would need to come up with to buy out para at that valuation para to buy them out combined kaplan and strauss actually own more than para does and for para to buy them out at the one billion dollar valuation would be about 300 billion dollars so it's not like either of them have to come or, or i'm sorry 300 million dollars it's not like either of them would have to come up with a full billion dollars in cash here but that's a lot of money when you consider the initial reporting was that back in the day para only put up 38 million in equity and kaplan and strauss put up 25 million each in equity back then uh and that included taking on some debt and stuff as well that the team had does para have that money presumably if kaplan and strauss are making this offer they 
have the money it, people don't know like his the stock of his company ubiquity has fluctuated quite a bit uh but supposedly as of october 2017 he owned four billion dollars in shares in ubiquity presumably that would be enough that he could buy out kaplan and strauss you know other people will tell you that para doesn't really have that much money and that he's not gonna be able to afford this you know i really have no way of knowing we'll just have to see and i don't really know what the deadline is either there but i mean this is just absolutely fascinating it does seem like their strategy was hey let's pay what we think the most we'd be willing to pay um do you think the grizzlies are worth a billion dollars is this like a good approximation of what their fair market value would be or do you think that the provisions of this buy sell clause and the fact that it's there you're not paying for the entire team all at once could change the value a little bit i know there are tax elements of this that can make it seem that can make it a little bit less onerous i don't know exactly how those work it's not my field but this seems like a little bit of an overvaluation to me the number that i've heard is that the team loses about 20 million a year and yeah but they don't have to though they're losing 20 million a year because they're spending almost yeah. right up the luxury tax right now. that's fair and it's true that they're but they they have obligations for another couple of years and they could retool they also have draft ob- obligations but another remarkable point so i would say less than that but these i i've compared it before that it's like owning art so it's you know the value is is a complicated thing but in 2012 the team was the purchase price kind of puts it at about a little bit under 400 million 377 to be specific yes the national tv deal changed the economics of the league dramatically but i don't think and i'm not trying to anchor off that number i let's say the expansion fee would be a a, a billion dollars i would rather spend that on an expansion team than on the memphis yeah. Grizzlies. well there's a couple of reasons why i think that this is a little bit high number one these guys uh, kaplan and strauss sure you can call it a billion dollar valuation but really what all they have to do is come up with that 228 million and you get control of an nba team right so hey but might as well kick up the valuation that's just an artificial number the actual cash you have to go with and again I, you know i'm ballparking in here it could be more it could be less this is just trying to calculate it best i can in the publicly available information of what the ownership percentages are but to me yeah sure why not i mean you're you're basically getting to own the team and all you have to put in is, is 228 million bucks so you have to find whatever go we'll call it a, a billion dollars on paper that's not really what anyone is actually having to pay here and then when you also consider that you're in kind of a single bidder situation so you're trying to pick a number that para is not going to be able to afford that's a, i think is in some ways and you know you're going to get the team if you bump it up that high in some ways i think that might be lead to a higher valuation than if it were an open process now a reason to say why it could be worth more than one billion well what if they relocate the team that you also have to pay a relocation fee in that instance uh but nonetheless you know the team could be worth a lot more if it were to move to say a seattle uh at some point in the relatively near future so and i forget again exactly when it is that they can get out of their lease um i should probably look that up again at some point i I used to know that six months ago when we talked about this so i don't know I, i would say that the grizz if you knew they had to stay in memphis would not be would not get quite a billion dollars but you know you never know i mean a lot of this is just ego plays at this point and that's why people are doing this and they have enough money to do it and they think it'd be fun so it's not necessarily based on the economics so a quick look at the uh a piece that was written from the memphis commercial appeal has the fedex forum lease binding them through the 2020 21 season that's, right. that's not too far no, away isn't. no not at all and interestingly that piece i i obviously didn't read it in the short time we've been having this conversation 
conversation, but the the headline on it was that Grizzlies fans should root for Para to win. So I guess I will defer to the commercial appeal in a piece I didn't read to say that Grizzlies fans, if you are based in Memphis, root for Para to match or to pick it up. Uh, also, there is apparently a process in place to determine which of Kaplan or Strauss would become the owner of the team if Para were to sell his shares. And uh, the piece noted that they're not sure how much time would be required before uh, Para has to make a decision. In other news, uh, the Grizz, after almost winning against the Bulls uh, over the weekend, they sat Marcus Gasol on Monday with an illness against Brooklyn, and uh, Tyreek Evans was a late scratch for at least as, as far as I could tell in my brief research on it. No real reason at all. Uh, not really clear, you know, if he still is dealing with that rib issue or whether you know he's going to just uh, come back. And and they sat him just for tanking purposes against another bottom eight. Where do you want to go next, sir? I think we have to go to Cleveland. I mean, a series of big stories there. The top line one for me is Ty Lue taking a leave from the Cavaliers. It is, he's been dealing with physical issues. It has been described in a couple different ways. Loss of sleep is certainly a component of it. That was also an issue for those who remember with Steve Clifford taking that leave of absence from the, from the Charlotte Hornets. In that case, we didn't find out what the cause was for a long time. So at least it feels better to have this. But then Lou's statement also had that he's had chest pains and other troubling symptoms. And that's not great. That's really not great. And some have said, oh, well, you know, what's what's the difference for the Cavs? And as was the case when Steve Kerr missed time, both in the 73 win year and then in the playoffs the following year, last year, this is still Ty Lue's team. It is still his system. It is still his structure. And yes, Larry Drew will be running it, but he's not going to fundamentally overhaul what this Cleveland Cavaliers team is. Yeah, and Drew does at least have a head coaching experience, uh, of course. I do think at least it's good to see both with Clifford and with Lou and then also some of the positive stories that we've seen about players' mental health, for example, that it does, the NBA does seem to be becoming at least a slightly kinder workplace than it has been. I think there are a lot of things about the NBA that are just unnecessarily stressful, uh, especially for coaching staff. I mean, when you talk to any video coordinator, you know, we have them at SBC every year and they're not complaining about it. They're happy to have the jobs they have, obviously, but they'll tell you, you know, they get four hours of sleep during the season, like every night. <laughs> they don't see their families. And, and, you know, these are people who are not getting paid a huge amount. You know, it's not that hard for a team uh, to hire another video coordinator. So maybe, you know, not every single night do they have to stay up until six in the morning doing video edits. You know, I, I think there's, uh, and, you know, we've also railed about how, you know, teams have unpaid internships and just kind of generally take advantage of people who really want to work in sports. And, you know, they're going into it willingly. I mean, take advantage might be a little bit strong, but I, I think that teams could in general treat their employees better. Now, if you're a coach and you're getting paid $5 million a year, that's a, a little bit different. Um, and this is a little bit of a tangent now, but I, I think it's good to see more of an acknowledgement that, hey, this is a really stressful profession and hopefully we can make some allowances for that. Uh, in other news for the Cavs, they did get Kevin Love back uh, on Monday against Milwaukee. He scored 18 points, uh, looked just fine, which, which you'd normally expect. Uh, you know, you'd think maybe his shooting stroke would be a little bit off coming off that broken hand but they, they got him back in plenty of time to get him in a rhythm for the playoffs uh more troublingly rodney hood has missed four of the last five and will also miss the game we're doing the tour nba show on tomorrow against the raptors uh with a sore back you know another one of these kind of nagging injuries that uh kind of got him traded out of utah and then larry nance is also out with a hamstring this will be his fourth straight on the sideline coming up as well and with 
with Tristan Thompson also out with a sprained ankle. The Ante Zizic era has begun in earnest. He's actually played a little bit better than expected. I'm looking forward to seeing him play against the Raptors, lock in on him more closely, and then they've at least got Love back to play some center for them as well if needed. But at least this means all these people out that we get to see LeBron James just have to completely dominate offensively every night for them to win, and uh, he certainly did that against the Bucks. Uh, and they also signed O'Carroll White. Yeah, I mean, for- <laughs> sorry. Yeah, and they signed O'Carroll White as Albert Namad has done a beautiful job pointing out they've been Cleveland has been managing this financially very very well. Signed O'Carroll White to a ten day contract, basically right at the borderline of when they had to fill that last roster spot. And I believe that now after this 10 day contract, it will line up with the end of the season. And presumably at that point, Cleveland can pull a Dante Jones with Dante Jones or anybody else and sign those players on the last day of the season or close to it and then have them be eligible for the playoffs, assuming they're playoff eligible. White is a guy that that I've liked. They had the Heat had to waive him uh, when they brought in Luke Babbitt. Uh, but I'm uh, a fan of his. I think he's can play some good defense. Question is whether he can be good enough offensively whether he can hit shots or not but a combo forward with some switchability i don't expect him to make a huge contribution in cleveland especially because you know the way they've been signing guys to 10 days it's not exactly been players who seem to be in their long-term plans but a guy i want to keep an eye on a little bit elsewhere with atlanta they somehow beat the jazz today in utah behind 41 points from dennis Schroeder. but they have been bedeviled by injuries although probably for the best for the franchise uh deandre beverly it's really been a lost year for him with myriad injuries he really could, could have gotten a chance to establish his career but he's been out since february 23rd with an abdominal strain kent Bazemore, we mentioned already is out for the year malcolm delaney's been out now for two weeks with a bad ankle sprain that he suffered against phoenix and then john collins also has a sprained ankle although they are hopeful and we are hopeful as well that he can return friday against the golden state warriors i'm looking forward to seeing him in person if possible uh, let's talk about the celtics now yeah i mean so Kyrie Irving has missed four straight games. He is going to seek a a second opinion. Fortunately, Woj said today that there isn't any structural damage. That is certainly a good thing, but Kyrie Irving is essential. And I mean, going back even to the Danny Ainge quotes about, you know, the weird dichotomy of this is something he's going to have to manage for his whole career. And then, oh, we're not that worried about it. Well, I mean, if it flares up in March, April, May, or June in any of the next like three or four years, then yeah, might be worth worrying about. Well, and you'll recall even that Irving before he fractured his kneecap in 2015 really struggled with tendonitis uh there are whispers that in the 2017 playoffs down the end of the year uh, regular season that year that he was struggling with tendonitis uh, as well so it does seem like something uh, that is going to be a chronic issue for him uh, as Ainge had mentioned meanwhile I don't think we uh, got this yet Marcus Smart officially is going to miss four to six weeks after having surgery on his thumb some hope that he could return during the playoffs and for a higher seeded team uh, that may offer some hope that he can get back and then also some hope that because it's a, a thumb injury that you know he can get into a little bit better condition and might be able to make a return more easily during the playoffs than uh, players who have, have lower body injuries um but yeah that Irving thing is definitely and his situation yeah, ahead, sorry. complicated with smart because he's a restricted right. free agent this year so don't want to rush back but he does have a real opportunity as long as the Celtics are still in it to make himself some money to get that notoriety because restricted free agents have to get above everybody other everybody else on the restricted free agent list because hopefully there will be a team that has money when the clock strikes zero at the end of the moratorium and presumably there will be but that's going to be a hard sales pitch for smart just like it's going to be a hard sales pitch for every other guy oh we should mention jalen brown as oh well. yeah brown still suffering 
from a concussion after that dunk uh where he grabbed the room with two hands and, the, and then fell against minnesota uh no real timetable apparently uh, for either he or Kyrie as of this point um in charlotte uh they re-upped with fox sports for uh an annual rights fee in the low to high 20 million dollars range per the charlotte business journal i would imagine that that's just a number low to high 20 million dollar range means it's going to increase over the life of the deal they're making about 14 million this season so not the type of explosion that we've seen but charlotte probably not an incredibly valuable franchise from a tv rights standpoint but you know that'll help michael jordan's coffers a little bit when he has a an expensive team that's not really making the playoffs uh and then yeah and good, good to get it now i mean you and i talked on the the crystal ball podcast about where we see this team going in a couple of years so yeah no, I, I think that you make a good point uh there cody zeller has missed five straight with soreness in the same knee that he had surgery on earlier this season starting to get to the point where you wonder like why even bring him back like get him to rehab get him ready for next year and then nicola batum diagnosed with chronic tendonitis in his left achilles and this is this is never good to hear because achilles tendons like don't really seem to heal that well i mean you can try to rehab it but if you think of say rudy gay for example was a guy who had chronic achilles tendonitis issues and then ended up tearing it mike conley you know we've seen him have a recurrence of this so that's not good hopefully this will not be something that sticks with him he could miss multiple games he underwent an mri on sunday but we haven't necessarily heard the results of that yet and batum for those who aren't playing along at home three years 77 million left on his contract assuming he picks up that player option which he will pick up all right uh the bulls the core three uh as they have both seriously and derisively been called zach levine lowry markinen and chris dunn are all out chris dunn injuring his toe he has been in a walking boot so it doesn't appear that his return will be imminent lowry markinen has had these lower back issues all years back spasms has periodically been missing games he's out and then levine having what's been called minor tendonitis in his left knee same knee that he had the torn acl in uh and he has said that he wants to play again this season it's been called minor in, in a story by casey johnson today but if levine who's shot extremely poorly over his last few games isn't going to play well coming into his restricted free agency he's almost better off sitting down you would say at this point and the bulls uh while they have been friskier than expected at times uh were completely destroyed uh monday night in new york in a a double tank game as you like to call them a team that was not destroyed in their game but it wasn't double tank was the dallas mavericks and maybe part of the reason they were more competitive against the pelicans in a game that was i think it was two possession game about halfway through the fourth quarter is because they played without dennis smith young point guards we both like his potential but he's dealing with a sprained ankle and that means that better players in the immediate are available yeah though one of those jj barea uh has been struggling with a left rib muscle sprain did he play tonight he started and played 29 minutes okay well i guess it's uh not stopping him as of right now so that that's uh that's bad for the dallas tank i suppose detroit more news here indicating that uh stan van gundy will soon be relieved of duties at least as an executive uh, according to mark stein detroit has expressed interest in hiring chauncey billups to work in tandem with arn tellum in a totally revamped front office and also uh, reggie jackson could return this 
this week finally uh, from that sprained ankle uh detroit doesn't have their pick unless it goes into the top three this season so that doesn't hurt any tanking efforts might as well get him back on the floor if they feel like he is there uh where are the golden state warriors and their uh, myriad injuries at the moment they're still in the process they were missing actually for most of the game against san antonio all four of their all-stars because draymond green had a pelvic contusion after getting kneed by danny green steph curry is planning to return on friday it's not he basically has been cleared to go to practice but they they have a couple off days because they don't play again until friday and clay thompson is going to be reevaluated on thursday i would guess it'll be another little while for him with his fractured thumb kevin durant it's still going to be a little while with him and omri caspi is out for at least a week though we're partway through that week he sprained his ankle on friday's game against the sacramento kings which led to them having to play their other guys even more minutes because they're just so much the walking wounded that you know quinn cook nick young all those guys are playing 40 plus minutes right now in indiana demontis sabonis uh, and, and this is a big loss for them because they have to play al jefferson when he's out he sprained an ankle against philly last week he's missed a couple of games now he's been ruled out wednesday as well it looked like a pretty bad sprain so it wouldn't surprise me if he misses a, a little bit more time the clippers uh, Z- yeah yeah and bead fell into yeah it. yeah when he just landed on his foot like that uh the clippers danilo gallinari uh, as they their playoff hopes have dwindled they are now down to 17 percent playoff odds through 538 uh gallo is still on the team and will be for two more years after this one being paid over 20 million dollars per season but he had this bruised hand he sought another examination to determine whether surgery would be needed uh but we haven't actually heard what the result of that was yet let me see if they've updated that since this afternoon when i put that in uh he to miss at least the next four games but he's hopeful to return by march 27th against milwaukee who will be on a west coast trip at that point uh the lakers what's the latest for them brandon ingram is still out due to his groin strain we don't have a timeline yet for him but the lakers are at the point now where they're not going to make the playoffs and yes wins help their perception around the league especially if they're going after free agents but they're not massive for them josh hart is looking to come back towards the end of this month he's had a broken hand certainly they've missed both of those players in their absence and Channing Fry, it's different because he, he never really made much of an impact for them but he is still not cleared for contact after having an appendectomy yeah has been cleared to at least do some on-court work however Miami Dwayne Wade and Hassan Whiteside have both been out Wade has missed four straight with a hamstring Whiteside is out five straight uh with a hip injury and neither appears to be that close to returning right now they weren't we weren't hearing like oh it's a game time decision they're gonna warm up that type of thing against the Nuggets they got ruled out uh pretty far before that game so it could still be a while for those guys and good news uh, out of minnesota jimmy butler says that he expects to be back for the playoffs he, he made a bunch of comments about hey i'm the guy i know my body better than anyone and you know yeah you know he kind of does overuse it a little bit although you'll remember he didn't play in the all-star game because he was uh so tired but hopefully that is true and he will in fact manage to be back for the playoffs and even if he's not at 100 percent offensively you know obviously he can contribute tribute on defense i mean this is a team that has a lot of offensive firepower uh and then in milwaukee matthew delvadova i mean this wasn't something that was considered to be that serious but he's been out all the way since february 4th now with an ankle sprain and, and malcolm brogdon uh february 2nd he was supposed to be out six to eight weeks with that partially torn quad tendon but with it being nearing six weeks now uh it has in fact been six weeks we have not really heard anything about him being close to returning or doing any on-court work or, or anything like that um what else we got 
here. The Knicks, uh, there was a report out today that they're expected to stretch Joakim Noah after September 1st. If you want full details on why, uh, you can check out, I wrote a piece for the Sporting News a month and a half ago about this. And basically the short version is they the Knicks would not really benefit much from stretching the 2018-19 portion of Noah's contract, but certainly could benefit from the 1920, the final year of his contract. Yes, that would be permanent, but it would get it over three years. That money could be used for free agents at that point when Porzingis will be a restricted free agent. So... Yeah, that way he is off. He is off their roster at a point where that matters, but not at the full price. Yeah, Noah. If he does get stretched just for that nineteen twenty season, that would reduce uh, his number for that year from nineteen point three million down to a little over six million. And as of now, Kristaps Porzingis is supposed to be a restricted free agent. Then, yeah, probably he'll get an extension done. But if he doesn't, uh, they could have some cap space to work with. Uh, I've got them at twenty four million in space. Uh, as of now and that could grow to about 35 million or so if they were in fact to stretch noah but of course that assumes they don't sign any other bad contracts between now and then which uh yeah eh, you know i think they might do uh new orleans we, yeah well and their draft and their draft picks are going to be expensive like their 2019 pick could end up being solid yeah yeah I've, my, my projection includes 2018's pick but since 2019 Correct. is so far away i didn't throw that in yet but yeah that that could obviously eat into that as well in new orleans frank jackson we mentioned that he was out for the year he had to get another surgery actually that's why uh the third procedure now uh a scar tissue removal debridement and an injection to his right foot haven't heard anything yet about a timetable but uh, a lost season for the 31st pick in the 2017 draft in orlando aaron gordon finally returned tonight against the raptors from a concussion at a nice 360 uh phoenix tj warren has a sprained left knee thankfully the mri came back clean but uh he's gonna miss a, a fair amount of time Devin booker has been trying to play through a right hand sprain but was not able to do so these last couple of games they got completely destroyed by the pistons at home today in his absence and that means at least josh jackson is going to continue to get all he could eat and uh he wasn't able to eat that much today though uh six out of 19 from the field 15 points negative 26 um in utah Derek favors did not play against the hawks with knee soreness perhaps that was because it was more kind of strategic rest and they thought they were going to beat the hawks they were wrong about that uh, if so but never a good sign for him with uh, his history of knee and back troubles uh so hopefully that's just precautionary and then finally in washington john wall could practice five on five by the end of this week which is should give him enough time to get back in the swing of things maybe next week he'll play his first game and then you know a few eight to ten games uh, to return before for the start of the playoffs all right we'll talk a little clippers minnesota there's another interesting one for the playoff race but first this from lending club there was a time in my life when i had some credit card debt and i went to my bank to see about getting a personal loan and the interest rate was terrible it took me forever to even get a quote on it and this is the bank that i already was with by the way and it would have been nice uh, to have access to lending club at, at that point they will give you access to low rates on loans up to $40,000 for almost any purpose whether you want to make some home improvements 
lease you want to consolidate your debt it's easier than going to a bank and it offers lower rates than high interest credit cards do the way you get started with them you go to lendingclub.com slash cap space that'll let you check your rate for free it won't impact your credit score and that slash cap space url easy to remember the knicks will have cap space in 2019 unless they blow it lendingclub.com slash cap space you check your rate for free you enter the amount of money you need see if you're approved in minutes for more than 10 years lending club has helped millions of people with over 31 billion dollars in loans so you can take charge of your finances today with lending club lendingclub.com slash cap space again it's that url all loans made by web bank member fdic equal housing lender so let's talk clippers and minnesota it was a 123 109 win for the timberwolves what most stuck out to me in this one was the absolutely dominant second half uh, from jeff teague he had not made a field goal as of halftime and finished the game eight out of 13 with 20 points and 12 assists the high pick and roll between he and carl anthony town spearheaded a 13-0 third quarter run in which the wolves took control former defensive player of the year candidate deandre jordan wasn't really matched for that and i thought teague looked faster in this game more akin to actually how he looked in atlanta than his previous you know like where he'd been the last couple years and that's certainly a good thing for minnesota and if one of the takeaways from this time with jimmy butler being out obviously that's still a dark cloud but if a silver lining can be a more aggressive jeff teague we've also seen carl anthony towns activated in a different way and certain games including this one where andrew wiggins has been better then maybe they can come out of this looking good depending on what their seating is three wolves finished with over 20 points i really liked the game that andrew wiggins played in this one he had 27 nine of 16 from the field four of five on three pointers and the reason i liked it number one i thought that he was operating more as a play finisher you know there's that report that he that we talked about in the 15 and 60 about how he was not liking being the third option but i thought letting teague operate on the ball make the decisions and then wiggins in that third quarter i think he was hit three three pointers in the third quarter very nice looking spot up attempts he had three block shots and a steal in this one he had one of the better defensive sequences that i've seen from him where he denied the ball from austin rivers got a deflection into the backcourt raced into the backcourt rivers beat him to it barely and then wiggins sprinted back into the play from the backcourt and knocked it away from rivers who thought he was going to have a a clean lane to go to the basket he he stripped it away from him from behind really just a very high motor high effort play from wiggins and we're starting to see more of those from him this season and while with both he and towns you you can certainly say hey you know what like they are below their potential still defensively this wolves team has not defended well this season they are making baby steps and maybe the expectations with tibbs getting there were too high especially with the improvement he was able to make when he first came in in chicago but these guys are slowly getting better and you think about some of the great young players in history uh and even lebron james you know he was a guy who was derided for his lack of defense the first couple years of his career and then became one of the greatest defensive forwards at his peak that we've seen uh and the most versatile so maybe these guys will get there um you know i'm not gonna say it's gonna happen for sure i've certainly been down on them in the past and i'm not necessarily departing from that now but it's encouraging to see some modicum of progress even though it it must be noted that they weren't like some defensive juggernaut again tonight also in the modicum of progress realm derrick rose looked better offensively he had this stretch in the i think it was the second quarter where he was getting to the basket ended up with nine points on four or six shooting and 
he only ended there because he sprained his ankle and he is reportedly day to day yeah that the opposite ankle from the one that he suffered that weird inversion ankle sprain uh very early in the season when he was what should have been a flagrant fouled by greg monroe he's still uh, on the cavaliers uh but yeah he was actually plus six as well we detailed how bad his net rating had been but he actually contributed that it's a pretty good clippers bench and uh the wolves bench guys uh, to some degree uh, were better from a plus minus standpoint towns was also awesome i mean you can't forget him 30 points 10 out of 19 from the field ho-hum another just dominant game and it was interesting this is another one of those games you know they had this in hand they had a 20 point lead with five minutes to go carl towns ended up playing 41 minutes wiggins 38 teague 35 but and what tibbs did he took them out teague and towns out you know with maybe like under a minute to go in the third quarter and a pretty healthy lead he brought them back in after less than a minute's rest although there was the quarter break starting the the fourth quarter uh after like about 40 seconds when they'd given up a couple of buckets and criticize what, uh, what you want but i think it's important to note that they immediately stemmed the tide and were able to push it up to 20 with five minutes left and then of course he left them in uh the whole rest of the game against uh, the clippers scrubs anyway um oh cole aldrich did play two minutes well, and so i guess he took him out with two minutes left he did but this is also concerning because playing 41 minutes in a regular season game and playing 41 minutes in a playoff game when the increased intensity presumably on defense as well is going to be there and there isn't much mobility here and you're you're just wearing the tread off these tires a lot and minnesota might not necessarily we don't know have a long run this year but that's concerning it it worries me a lot and other teams have been more cautious with this we've seen it work out for them pretty well and especially the low-hanging fruit of when the other team puts in wes johnson sam decker and Jawan evans pull your starters from the clippers standpoint uh, and i i agree with you there we're tweeting to, to that effect deandre jordan you know we carped a little bit on the 15 and 60 that you know he didn't really seem to make any plays he did make the plays offensively he, he and he had 16 points in the first half also was active in the offensive glass he had four offensive rebounds and he drew another couple of loose ball fouls uh, going for offensive rebounds i didn't think he was particularly effective defensively towns with that pick and pop pick and roll with teague they really caused problems so then the clippers decided to change up and start trapping that and then because towns is such a good shooter they had to bring a third guy all the way over uh to get the roll man when they started trapping on teague and they got pretty well carved up there as well though they did try to at least change up uh after a timeout um you know they had a few screw-ups i mean sean kilpatrick was playing uh, trying to guard jeff teague uh, after they took out taya dosich early on and and you know kilpatrick taya dosich lou williams i mean those guys as on ball pick and roll defenders they're not really going to be able to execute and we saw a couple of times where teague was able to reject the screen especially when you're doing a trap you your number one responsibility as the guard is to force the guy over to use the screen because your big man is up to the level of the ball and so if he the guard rejects the screen now your big man is totally out of position for any kind of help plays um kilpatrick did have 15 points uh, on five out of ten uh you can't help but wonder whether tyrone wallace might have been a little bit better in that role and then austin rivers really struggled team worst negative 20 11 points uh on 15 shooting possessions obviously is, is very poor and he took I, I thought some pretty difficult shots was not able to finish uh, around the rim at all and then a key play was tobias harris getting his third and fourth fouls within about two minutes right at the start of the third and part of that was 
his departure precipitated that 13-0 Wolves run. I just don't think the Clippers have enough firepower. They can execute. If they were in the Eastern Conference, this would be a very different conversation. But even with OKC and Utah losing in somewhat dispiriting fashion today, they just have a larger margin. And the Clippers have a tough schedule. Their parting gift from this game beyond getting the L is flying to Utah, sorry, not to Utah, to Milwaukee for the tail end of a back-to-back before the other two games of this road trip in Indy and in Toronto. Yeah, and you have to wonder whether they're a little tired. I mean, Lou Williams did not have one of his best games. He only had 15 points. Did get to the foul line as he always does, but was 4 of 11 from the field. Um, They did get some good garbage time minutes out of Sam Decker. Uh, but a, a guy who's one of my more disappointing players i thought he could really contribute to the clippers this year he hasn't been able to but maybe he can get a, a little bit more time for them um and they also actually started Sindarius thornwell in this one and he ended up playing 25 minutes uh I, i've noted that he's been better defensively uh, of late but a guy who really is looking like a total non-threat still offensively so uh, 25 minutes for him again you know there's some garbage time involved here but nonetheless uh that's probably a little bit too much time for him with this especially when you're playing Tay Dosich, Rivers and Thornwell together I mean that's uh that you've got some limitations there uh in terms of the lack of two-way players did, did the starting and playing garbage time combo ever get named after somebody because if not we should take suggestions and uh, think of who that is it happened to Harrison Barnes a fair amount I think yeah there are the, I we could think of somebody I'm sure fan bases will remember it but it is such a strange dichotomy where a player is just not not necessarily justifiably but it's the plan to kind of have them be in both of those times those those slots yeah i mean like Mar- it's always like kind of these young guys who are just like getting the spot starts like thon maker probably got that last year marquise chris probably it's always mm-hmm. like some rookie like that but uh yeah i mean nothing nothing like, will ever they're the whole like last two months of their season last year were garbage time <laughs> uh all right i think that's uh enough uh don't forget about our patreon patreon.com slash dunk of the room we're really up to probably between like 10 and 20 posts per month we'll have our patreon subscriber meal bag coming out shortly and thanks so much again for listening we will talk to you all next time till then thanks to credible.com for sponsoring today's program they're an online marketplace for student loan refinancing using their simple platform takes less than two minutes to find out if you're overpaying on your student loans and you might be overpaying it's uh the average user who refinances through credible.com saves over nineteen thousand dollars over the life of their loan it's basically aggregates student lenders together all in one place you go to that credible.com slash cap space link answer a few questions right away you'll get real rates not ranges of rates from multiple lenders checking your rates will not affect your credit scores you really have nothing to lose uh for limited time my listeners will get a 200 welcome bonus when refinancing through credible.com slash cap space that's credible.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.